scripture passage comes from the book of Philippians. And we'll begin in chapter 3, verse 17. And we'll read through chapter 4, verse 1. Philippians 3, 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and God, I just ask that you would um, that you would just be with us as we seek a way to follow Jesus, a way to please you, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom and discernment. Father, in seeking those models, those influences in our lives that help us to follow your path. Lord, we ask that you bless the reading and the proclamation of your word now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. There's a lot of things in the Bible that we read that are immediately comforting. They are immediately... They just feel good. There's other things we read, and they're troubling. <laughs> they're, they, they are hard uh, to, hard sometimes because we don't understand them, hard sometimes because we do understand them and what they're asking us to do. And I'll say that uh, as my time in the ministry, I've always struggled with passages such as this one where Paul says, hey, Look at me and follow me. That's tough to me. It's tough because, first of all, we know that our eyes are supposed to be on Jesus. We've talked a lot about that lately, how we're supposed to focus on him and to look at him and to follow him. So if our eyes are to be fixed upon Jesus, what is this about following Paul? Where does that fit? And also because we know that there are no human beings that are perfect. We know that anyone besides Jesus who we look at will inevitably, inevitably let us down. And so we often remind ourselves, fix our eyes on Jesus, focus on Jesus. And so when Paul says something like this, which he, has, he does in several places in his letters, uh, for a long time that really bothered me. That, that really got me, like, uh, ugh, that's because I, I thought, how could I 
How could I say something? Well, I'm not the apostle, but even how could the apostle, because he still wasn't perfect either, how could he say something like this? But after a while, just kind of considering the different passages and trying to put them together, um, something started to click for me. Uh, Specifically, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Or some translations say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what I started to get and started to understand is, although, yes, our ultimate goal is to fix our eyes on Jesus, we know that we're speaking figuratively when we say fix our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is not present in the flesh and blood for us to look at directly and follow him the way that the disciples did in the New Testament. And so while we look at Scripture and we read the life of Christ and we read the rest of the writings of Scripture, we get that picture of Christ that we follow. But, you know, we're we're, uh, visual people. I mean, we, we like to see something right out in front of us, don't we? You know, Denise, um, she switched the subject that she was teaching this year. Several years ago, she got her master's in reading literacy. And so this year, she's teaching uh, literacy and literature. Um, and and one of the, she has seventh and eighth graders. Isn't that fun, right? And so uh, they coming in sweaty from PE or ball practice or whatever, and she's trying to get them into literature. And, and so she's been teaching them not just the kind of the how you read just as here's the letters and the words, but she's teaching them the fact that you read different types of things differently. There's one way that we approach a poem. There's another way we approach a, a narrative, a story. And then there's another in, in instructional type language. You have to know how to read those and understand that. You approach those differently. So, and, and her being creative and just, you know, sometimes I, everybody who's married to a teacher can kind of testify that we all say, we're all thinking, boy, if we could spend everything you spend on those kids, on our kids, you know, or, or leave that at home because teachers in their hearts are, and, you know, they're going to pull, pull out of their own money and stuff. So, so when it came to the instruction thing, she wanted to do something special. And so she went out and she bought a whole bunch of little Lego sets. And she put these kids together. Now, these weren't the big, gigantic, you know, huge Death Star or castle or something. These were like 50-piece Lego sets. And, and she bought them, and she put the kids in twos and threes. And, uh, and so that was their lesson on instructional-type reading. I'm probably using the wrong word, but you get what I'm talking about. Reading, how to follow this technical writing. And, and I said, that's great. The kids are going to love it. I said, but you do know that there'll be one kid in the group, maybe, who actually reads, and the other two are going to look at those pictures. And that's all. They're going to ignore those, those directions. They're going to look at that picture of the Lego, and they're going to start working at it. And she said, that's fine. She understood that. But, you know, we were trying to get them to understand. Well, lots of us are like that. For, for every one of us who's an instruction reader, there's about five of us that are like, get rid of that stuff that some Chinese wrote. Just give me the picture, and I'll put it together. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. We read and we hear about Jesus and that picture we form is to follow. But sometimes we physically need to see a picture in front of us of how we're to model our lives. And so he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, we're not trying to be like the Apostle Paul. We're trying to be like the Christ who lived through the Apostle Paul. 
So when you find people that you admire or you respect who are, who are godly spiritual leader, it's not that you want to be them. You want to be like them at their best when they are following Christ. You see the Jesus in them. You see God's spirit working in them. And in that sense, we are still fixing our eyes. We are still following Jesus. We're watching the Jesus who inhabits other believers. And we're using that as a model because all of us need models. All of us need to see things lived out. I can, give you, I can give you one example of something uh, that this church, you as, as men and women, boys and girls, have done for me. I, uh, you know, I, I knew the word grace. Uh, I, I'd heard that before. I'd seen that before. But I, I remember when um, coming here, and you guys know I, I, I was kind of beat up. I was kind of wounded in a lot of ways, not just family life, but but I've been through some rough times and in, in, in pastoring and some difficult things. And I remember as, you know, I came up here just to, to fill in a couple Sundays and then it started looking like it was going to become something more. I remember starting to ask lots of questions. Well, what's the situation? What's going on? And I'll tell you this. As, as I looked at Pastor Terry who came before me. And I looked at his situation, which was not one of his own making at all. It was purely a physical thing that he could not control. And yet, it, it was a tough time, not just for him and his family, but it was a tough time for the church. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, these folks might just show me grace because they showed a lot of grace to Pastor Terry and his family. Because I hate to say this, there be some churches where uh, you're no good to us anymore. You're gone. You're out of here right away. And there was such grace there. And I thought, maybe, maybe this is a kind of place where, where I can see some grace because I need some grace. Because I'm kind of wounded. I'm kind of hurting. I need some grace. And it looks like they gave some grace to their previous pastor. And you know what I've experienced is exactly what I thought it would. That you are a people of grace. That you guys love me, and the moment I make a mistake, you don't say I'm ready to throw you away. And so what was a concept, a theological concept, became visualized, became something I could see and hear and feel and touch as I saw and I continue to see the graciousness of you as a church body. And I think no matter how many times we hear terms like salvation and faithfulness and trust and redemption and all these words and we can have a definition in our mind and yet seeing them in a man or woman who follows God and lives a godly way, it helps us to see Jesus in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. So Paul says this, Back in verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. So he says, follow my example. But again, we know from other places when he's saying, follow me, he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. <laughs> Don't follow when I get in the flesh. Don't follow, you know, we all mess up and have bad days. But follow the example that I've given in Christ. And he says, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So in other words, Paul's not saying, I'm the only one you got to follow. He's saying, 
me, but not just me, anybody else who is following Christ, who is committed to him, those are the type of folks that you need to be around. Now, we all know this lesson when it comes to kids, right? We're real quick to jump on children and youth and say, peer pressure, peer pressure, you know, and, and, and be careful who you're around. And it's true that children and youth need that, but we as adults, Paul's talking to everybody of all age here, we need to make sure we're fixing our eyes on Jesus And part of that is that we are looking to the right people in our lives. We are looking to people who are living for God. Now, what he's saying here is you have to be intentional about that. Because you might say, well, well, I, yeah, I mean, I'm going to put myself around lots of Christians, so that's just going to automatically and normally happen. And Paul's saying, "Eh, no, that doesn't just automatically happen. In fact, as we go on and read, he says this. He says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul's, in other words, saying, hey, there's a whole lot of bad examples around. And he doesn't come out and say these people, whether they're true believers or not true believers or whatever. And Now, when... It would kind of depend on your interpretation of their destiny as destruction. If he's talking about eternal destiny, well, then obviously they're unbelievers. But he could be talking about those who have just simply abandoned the faith, and in this life they have begun to go down a destructive path. I'm, I remember when I was a youth minister, I, <laughs> boy, that was tough, and I sure didn't know a lot, but there was a few lessons I learned along the way. And one thing I learned was this. What was more destructive... Uh, to the most destructive thing for a Christian youth was not for them to get around a non-Christian youth. The most destructive thing was them to get around a Christian youth who didn't live the way God wanted them to live. And that for them to take that as their role model. Because Sometimes they're around non-Christian, and their non-Christian friend does something wrong, immoral theft or violence or gossip or whatever, and that, that believer could say, well, you know, that's not the right thing, but they're not a Christian. That's why they're not living that way. But get them around another Christian, and the other Christian says, oh, man, that'd be cool. I'm a Christian, too, but, you know, these drugs are okay. This cheating's okay. This fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so often if they said, oh, well, they're another Christian and they're saying it's no big deal, they're saying it's okay, they're saying then very often that impressionable youth would be drug away much more than they would be by someone that they knew wasn't a Christian at all. As believers, maybe, hopefully, we're more discerning as we age and grow older, but oftentimes we need to understand there are people within uh, our communities, within uh, the, the, the circles where we travel, there are going to be pe- people who call themselves Christians. And sometimes we're going to say, well, they're Christian, and they do that. They behave that way. They, and it's easy to justify. And Paul says, be careful, because there are people all around you who's head, who are heading for destruction. He says their God is their stomach. Now, that's an interesting thing, because if you take that real literally, you think they're going, oh, oh, tummy, you know, please bless me today. No, that's not what it means. It's kind of like the idea of gluttony. 
You know, the idea of gluttony in the, in the Bible is not simply about eating. It's actually a metaphor. It is a, a symbol of anyone whose urges control them. Their fleshly desires control them. They're never, they've never got enough. They're never full. They always want more of whatever it is in life. They can never be pleased because they're always looking out for the next pleasure, the next fix, whatever you want to call it. And so God is telling us through the Apostle Paul here, be careful of those you watch. Yes, you do need to look out and watch But be careful who you watch, because there's a bunch of bad examples around, and some of them will even name the name of Christ. So you need to be discerning to put yourself in the right place. He goes on here and he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen. When you're looking for that model, look for someone whose life would fit in heaven. Look for someone whose the way they're living on earth now would fit well into the kingdom of heaven. Because one day, that's where we're going to be. That's where our true citizenship is. Uh, Last Monday, I read a news report um, that just really gripped me. It's about a young man named Maxim. Maxim. a couple from Pennsylvania had looked into adoption. And over three years ago, they began, um, through an agency, began to talk to this young man, get to know this young man, and it all culminated on February 24th with the adoption being legalized. And so this young man from the Ukraine was now legally, he was this He had a new family. He had a a whole new life. But the problem is, is the Soviet tanks began rolling in that same day. And the judge would not allow this to immediately. He put this young man, Maxim, he said, uh, it's all final. It's all done. You are adopted. But for 30 days, you're going to have to remain here. And so this young man is now hiding in a bomb shelter, hoping and praying that, uh, that he can safely make it through and that there will come to this point where he will be able to get out. Where is he now? He's in a bomb shelter in Ukraine. Where is his true home? It's with his forever family in Pennsylvania. But he's not there yet. And that is the image that God wants us to get, that this community Great as it is, state of Mississippi, great as it is, much as you may love it, it's not your true and final home. It's your temporary space. It's where you stay. But your real citizenship, your ultimate home is in heaven. And so because that's your ultimate home, just as Maxim As he shelters in that bomb shelter, as he tries to be courageous and wait for that day in which he will be rescued and and brought out, that you and I are to keep our minds focused. Yes, we're going to do the right things where we are, but remember where our true citizenship, remember where our true home is. It's there in heaven. And because of that, we live a certain way because we have the right mentality And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under control 
will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. There it is again, what we've been talking about so much lately, that Jesus is the model for our resurrection, and he's going to transform our bodies to be like his body. And then he sums it up with this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. In a few weeks, somebody else will be standing up here. Now, I'm glad I know that none of your faith was ever centered on Tim Lee. It's always centered on Jesus Christ. But I've been one of the folks that some of you have looked at for some direction and, 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 and those kind of things sometimes. And that's good. I, I'm unworthy But if you've ever seen Jesus in me, then I'm so grateful and so thankful. But even as Paul, who was an apostle, he would only travel and be with the church. I think he was never in more more than one place. I think his longest time period was a year and a half or two years. And so he could say, remember the good you saw in me. Remember what you've learned from me. But he said also, you're going to have to find models, other models of the faith. There are many different ones. And you need to be intentional about looking for folks in your life that will help you as you seek to follow Jesus. And then I want to say one more thing. Just as each of us need good models, each of us need to realize that we are models. That there's people looking at us, whether we're good models or not, we're models. We're role models. I remember Charles Barkley back before the day when it was his job to sit around and crack jokes about all the the basketball players like he does today. Back when he was still playing, Charles was always uh, one of those guys that was interesting to listen to. And I remember one time somebody, somebody fussed at him about his behavior and what if young people watching, what would they, what would they think? And he made a pretty f- a famous statement at the time. He said, I'm not a role model. And rightfully, even the folks that love Charles Barkley and were entertained by him say, said, Charles, you're a role model whether you want to be or not. Just by the position that you're in, just by who you are and what you do in life, people are looking to you. You don't get to choose what, if you're a role model or not. You only get to choose what kind of role model you are. And while we don't, none of us uh, have national fame and we're not on TV, we all have influence as well. We all affect the people around us. And we need to be reminded that there are eyes that are looking to us, sometimes younger, sometimes older, sometimes our same age. And that is a humbling, humbling thought when we think about our own faults and failures and limitations. But there's where it comes back to grace. And you say, God, (laughs) by your grace, I'm going to try to be closer to you, love you more. I'm going to try to be more of a blessing to others. So that I can be that model. Even as you try to help me find models. God, I want to be the right model for anyone who's standing and looking. So that others can see Jesus in me. That should be a goal for each and every one of us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you and I praise you.
that we have a home in heaven. God, we've all heard the old song, Beulah Land. We've heard those words where they say, I'm kind of homesick for a country I've never seen before. Lord, I pray that that would not just be a, a feeling we have only at revivals or at funerals. But God, that you would keep it in our hearts and our minds that this world is not our home. It's not our ultimate home. It's not our final destination. God, you have a heavenly home that you've prepared for us. And God, we need to be living our lives focusing on that direction, focusing on that heavenly home. Help us to find the right examples in our lives to look at and to learn from and help us to be good examples for those who are watching us. Father, work in our hearts now and help us to be obedient to you and your leading. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.